Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is November 27th, 2022, and uh, we have been given a serious revelation in these last few message, messages that is worth saturating our souls in. Isn't that right? Now, it won't be possible to review here this morning, here comes the rain from last Sunday or in the nothingness from last Wednesday night. But besides, this is why we uh, actually post the sermons and most of y'all are looking in my one note anyway and you already got the notes. So that's for you to review. But this morning, our message is entitled Between the Rains. Say that with me. Between, Between the, the rains. rains. Now, while we won't be reviewing this morning, Psalm 16 has become to the Sutherlands what Romans 12 is to Pastor Matt and the P. Rose, or what Psalm 37 is to Pastor Eric and the Stevens. So we're going to read it because uh, I'm compelled to do so and I have the mic. So we're going to read it together, Psalm 16. Amen. Before we do that, we're going to take a quick look at a slide for you from the entirety of Psalm 16. Uh-huh. So... In case you haven't noticed by the coloring on the screen, we wanted to let you know this morning that this psalm is clearly arranged in a chiastic formula, in a chiastic format where you see the first and the last verse corresponding, and then those in green and then blue, which leads us to an unparalleled truth right in the center of your screen. And it's clearly that we choose the Lord and his lines in our lives are a beautiful inheritance. Isn't that a good word for us this morning? Now, we could spend the whole morning actually teaching this to you, walking through it with you, but uh, we're, not. we're just not. That's for you to be able to study on your own time. But we're going to read the psalm together just for the pure enjoyment of it. Are you there in Psalm 16? Here we go. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Church, the position of a man of God who's standing in between the reins, in between that early and latter reins, is one of full reliance on God for his preservation in a daily way. See, when standing between the reins, the man of God honors the call of God. Everybody say call of God. Call of God. On his own life by refusing to consider any other pathway. Let's take a look at the next verse. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. Church, when you're standing between the reins, the brotherhood of believers must be viewed as the excellent ones. See, delighting in your own calling and in the called of God, those excellent ones, preserves your life when you're positioned in a time in between the reins. Let's take a look at verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. <laughs> Church, this is an observable fact. The takeaway from this verse is don't. <laughs> don't. <laughs> don't. You know what the Bible says about that? <laughs> don't. don't. Yeah. Don't give in to adulterous thoughts that say that there's an easier way. That there's a different way. That there might be a more palatable way for you. Because all that it does is multiply sorrows in your life. The Lord is my chosen portion. And my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. 
Somebody say amen to that. The knowledge that God chose me and the privilege of choosing him again and again when standing between the reins, man, it secures my inheritance. Those lines are not confining me, but they're showing me the path of life, the fullness of joy, and even pleasures forevermore in his presence. Let's take a look at verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. You know what, church? The times between the reigns have taught me something. It's taught me that he will always counsel me, always instruct my heart. Because when standing between the reins, my firm conviction is that I must take great care to set the Lord always before me, just as the author of the Hebrews book in chapter 12 attests to the very same thought. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Did you hear that, church? My heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. When are we talking about this? When you're between the reins. See, I can find security in one thought. Y'all ready for the one thought? Are you sure you're ready for this? It may feel like I'm in hell today, but resurrection power is on the way. Now, not only does that rhyme, but it's worth writing down. It's worth associating with that verse. I may feel like I am in hell today, but resurrection power is on the way. That is an anthem that will carry you forward. Let's do verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence... There is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Church, this entire psalm is occurring between the rains. It's a giant anthem that says, here comes the rain again. See, in the midst of nothingness, he makes known the path of life, which depends on the cycle of power known as death and resurrection that occurs over and over and over again. The brothers on Wednesday night did an amazing job teaching us about the ex nihilo power of God. I'm talking about the signature of God on any creative work. The idea that it has to come out of nothing. Nobody gets to contribute to it. Nobody gets to help him out. It has to bear his signature, which is literally that it came out out of nothing that you contributed. When you're burdened beyond your strength, when there's literally nothing that you can do, and his transformation power enters the situation, well, that will make you rely on his resurrection power. That will teach you to rely on his resurrection power. He puts you in a position where you don't have a choice so that the next time you choose to be in that position. I would tell you to go study 2 Corinthians 1.8, but let's face it, we've been doing that for weeks now. If that phrase doesn't ring a bell for you, go study your Bible. It will bring you life. 
the time between the early rains and the latter rains, that time period where it feels like nothing is happening, was always meant to produce a statement that is the signature of God. The Apostle John gives us what God's signature looks like. In John 1, 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. My friends, this is what it means to build on the foundation of Christ. What stands in the end, what is of eternal value, are the things that were made by him or through him. All eternal work, the things that will stand in the kingdom to come, must bear the signature that says, without him was made, nothing was made that has been made. That is a frightening and beautiful statement. When you are unable to do something, that is when God gets credit for what is done. But the thing is, you're able to do so much without even noticing that it's not coming from him. This is what the Bible calls wood, hay, stubble, or straw. And they may be courageous attempts, but they are fleshly attempts. Not in that they are malicious, not in that they are overtly sinful, but that they are the work of man. And they will be burned up no matter how well-meaning. Many of these things are in fact dedicated to God, but they are not directed by God. Have you ever set out to do something for God and later found out he didn't want you to do it at all? You should read 1 Samuel 13 sometimes and see that Saul was making a sacrifice dedicated to God. But it wasn't directed by God. Today we're going to examine some of those motives. Now our goal is not to paralyze you in a way that you cannot choose a peanut butter cracker versus a cheese cracker without a two-week fasting time. That is not what this sermon is about. It is specifically about being uncomfortable where God has placed you alone in a room with him, and so you fill it with things that are going to help God out simply because you feel uncomfortable. Now, if that's not already hitting you in the feels, then you are not awake yet. Because you are all 100% guilty of this, as are we. What the Lord actually desires of us and what we desire for ourselves are different things. Turns out that I value feeling productive, and God is not concerned with how productive I feel. Yeah? Church, let us keep going on this thought as we're just... Hey, we want to let you know today, this is not the most scripted of messages because we have the word of the Lord for you. <laughs> that was not scripted. clearly not scripted and we ran out during worship and radically changed the message <laughs> hey consider how much god loves you for him to do that for us here with you see our brother spoke to you about periods of inactivity between the heavenly rains and what can come out of the nothingness wasn't that an incredible message on wednesday night by our brothers that kind of nothingness is seen in periods of inactivity and inability you know, that nothingness that takes place. But we were thinking about it, and we realized that there's something worse than that kind of nothingness. Okay, now, 
the periods of inactivity, like when you can't do nothing, <laughs> that sucks, doesn't it? How many of you like to be confined and be able to do nothing? When Wade and I were in seventh grade, (laughs) we had these little jokes like, hey, man, that's gross. But do you know what's grosser than gross? Does anybody remember those jokes? I think it's best that I don't tell you one. (laughs) Let's just illustrate it with nothingness. How about nothingness? What's worse than nothingness? What's worse than the inability and inactivity? Oh, I got it. It's when our insecurity in those times produces actions that are worth nothing. So you're actually doing something, but the end product, the end fruitfulness is nothing. It's one thing to have nothing going on. It's another thing to be yearning, striving, working, and it produce nothing inside of you. It's worse. It's so much worse that you still are being unproductive. See, this morning we're going to speak to you about a few things. And we're going to speak to you about some activities that we, and by the way, when I say we, I literally mean we, often fill the nothingness with that have no eternal value. See, they're the activities that we dedicate to Adonai, but they're not directed by Adonai. They are born out of an uncomfortableness in the time between the rains. Come on now. That uncomfortable nature, what do you do in that uncomfortable nature? When someone comes up to you and they're talking to you and it's just uncomfortable. Okay, maybe it just happens to us and we're the ones that feel uncomfortable. Maybe we're the only ones in a conversation where there is like a 35-second pause and we feel the need to fill the void. See, I'm usually talking to you weirdos. We are talking about the moments where you should be sitting in the presence of God. But the thing is, you just feel like you need to do something. Anybody understand? I I would think an elder understands. Half of you are built onto your houses because you didn't want to sit and do nothing. (laughs) That's what we're talking about. Okay, we are not talking about God telling you that you have to breathe. We're not talking about God telling you that it's okay for you to have water. We are not paralyzing you in inaction. We're going to learn how to properly evaluate some things in our life today. Okay, now I use an elder as an example there because he can handle it. He's got 50 years where he knows this is true. If I pick some of your lives, you would be broken and feel like nothing. You're going to find out that that is a golden place to be, though. We're going to turn to Philippians. We're going to look at the worst kind of nothingness. I mean, what is grosser than gross? I'm very tempted to tell you a joke now, but that would be filling the awkwardness with something God did not tell me to say. This is how Paul filled this time between the reigns. The context of the Philippian epistle is that Paul is writing from a prison cell in Rome. The truth is, is he wrote four prison letters, and this is probably the last of them. So it's one of the last things that he wrote from the prison in Rome. The church that he's writing to, well, in Macedonia, the Philippian church, it's the product of the events that transpired in Acts 16. 
You remember where they encounter Lydia and then they're put in jail and there's a dramatic jailbreak? That passage has always meant a lot to us because it's the founding scripture that brought the Piros to this church when we started this church. The Philippian church was faithful among all of the churches of the day. I mean, they are standout heroes. They are recorded as sending financial support to Paul again and again. And one time he said they were the only church to do so. For that reason, it seems that he's a little more intimate with them. He, uh, he shares with them important details regarding the cycle of power. I'm talking about that cycle of death and resurrection that we have to get familiar with. He even gives his own insight into the time between the reigns in his life and how we mishandled it so that it amounted to nothing. Now, you need to remember as we do this, because Christians are bad about this, don't think of Paul's first belief in Yahweh, his first love or dedication in Yahweh, or for the crowd back there, Jehovah. Makes no difference. We're talking about the one true God. Don't think of that as the days on the road to Damascus. That's wrong. That is clearly wrong. You have to remember that Paul grew up in Tarsus, but something was stirring in him in such a way that he relocated his entire life to Jerusalem. And not just did he, did he go to Jerusalem making Aliyah, but he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who was the greatest teacher in Jerusalem in that time. You should read some of Gamaliel's writings. They are glorious. During that time period, he fully memorized the Tanakh. So we're not talking about a man that's not dedicated to the Lord. These things represent an early period of reign in his life where God awakened him and something was happening. But the thing is, he would need a second reigning on his life and a third and a fourth and a fifth to complete the cycle. We're going to pick up in Philippians chapter 3 and we're going to begin in verse 7. Verse 7 says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as law. Somebody say nothing. Nothing. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Nothing. nothing. Because of the surpassing, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. Somebody say it with me. Nothing. nothing. And count them as rubbish. Mm? No. No, 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 not nothing. No. In that case, the rubbish is fertilizer. Oh, yeah. It's worse than nothing. It's worse than nothing. In order that I might gain Christ. Would you rather have nothing on your shoe or fertilizer on your shoe? You and I may direct many of our activities towards the Lord. But that's entirely different than having our activities directed by the Lord. We dedicate all kind of things to God. And we hope that it'll honor it. But that is entirely different than it bearing his signature and being made solely from him. These kinds of activities are usually driven from our need to do something in the time between the reigns. I mean, you were really directed by him on Monday. And maybe he's going to direct you again the next Sunday. And in this time in between, you just don't like that you're not sure what to do. So you create something to do and hope that he will be excited about it. That robs you of the signature of God. And I want to read it to you again. 
without him, nothing was made that has been made. These kind of filler activities are hay, wood, and stubble. They're a form of false righteousness because they're very specifically not relying on his resurrecting power. They're reliance on your own arm. And at the same moment, it is stiff-arming the very thing that would make you productive, which is having no ability of your own. This is why Americans struggle so badly with the gospel. You can do too much on your own. It's why so many miracles are in third world countries where people are very familiar with their own limitations. God's not any different there than he is here. What is different is your own reliance on your own arm. We still choose what is good for us and don't realize that we're ruling out what God says is good for us. I don't want to be robbed of the signature of God. Verse 9 says, and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own Uh that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, because of the way this is worded, you think that the only way you could have a righteousness of your own is to approach the law improperly. No, you have your own kind of righteousness every day when you choose the deeds that you want to do and dedicate them to God. But he didn't direct you to do them. Romans 10, 17 clearly teaches us faith comes from hearing. Hearing comes from the word of God. In the time between the reigns, we have to focus only on the actions that come from hearing and putting faith into practice based on what we heard in the word of God. This is how we know that what was made was made through Christ. Now, if you start to give yourself a report card on this, just for last week, it's going to be rough. We know that. I promise that's not what the whole message is. But you do need to consider this. We're going to have to learn to identify the difference between what we did and dedicated to God versus what he directed us to do. Now, when Paul is talking like this, what you're hearing is Paul's personal dying time. His personal death between the reins. And how he was resurrected by hearing the word of God. So when Jesus speaks to him and he becomes obedient to what Jesus said, the rain is falling again. Maybe the first time in his life he was genuinely led is when he went to Jerusalem. But between Jerusalem and then decades later the road to Damascus... There was an awful lot of activity that the whole world would applaud. The whole world would find great. And he thought was great. And it was clearly dedicated to God. But it was not directed by him. In fact, God was trying to turn him around the whole time. And he was kicking against the goads. I'm not going to ask you when the last time you should be praying, but you got up to fix a ceiling fan or hang siding on your house or bake a cake. And we make these excuses. We're like, every time I try to pray, the phone rings and all these things. Or you just really wanted it to because you're uncomfortable sitting alone with your God in a room. For death to occur and arrive at resurrection power, Paul had to recognize his activities, many of them, excelling beyond his peers in Judaism, gaining prestige and popularity, amounted to nothing. Then he calls it fertilizer. 
because knowing that it amounted to nothing caused him to grow into something brand new. When you can learn to recognize how much of your activity is self-generated and dedicated to God rather than God-directed, then what you call nothing can be fertilized and become resurrection growth. Yeah? Let's pick up in verse 10. So listen to this very familiar verse now in light of what pastors just said. We're talking about this cycle in between the reins about what must become nothing and so that God's resurrection power can be there. Listen to it. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That I may know him. Do you want to know him better? Then you're going to have to die and be resurrected many times. He says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. That's not a singular event in a life. That is recognizing how dead the works were that you did today. Repenting from them. I didn't do anything wrong. That's not the point. You didn't do anything directed by God, and by that definition, it's wrong. That causes you to need and to want to know him better and better. That causes you to rely, because the things he tells you to do are not the things you want to do, to rely on his resurrection power. We're going to be talking about these verses as a cycle rather than a one-time event. Somebody say a cycle. A cycle. But I just want to reflect on my own beginnings in the walk so that we can see it as a cycle rather than a singular event. I had a mother that was drunk on the day of my birth, but she still heard the voice of God on the day that I was born. You know, I had a kind of miraculous birth in that regard. The truth is, when I look back, there were many awakenings in my life until I reached the signs of the first early rains at 18. But I filled every one of those awakenings, between the awakenings, with things that I hoped God would like, I dedicated to God, and they were not directed by him. So my sin grew deeper and deeper, okay? Now, there were many good things that were produced through the course of this because they're growing seasons. I don't regret them all. I regret what I did in them, but I don't regret what came from them. When you can learn to look at something as nothing in your life, then fertilizer happens and you can be resurrected. So you don't regret that it happened, you just regret that you did it. (laughs) And now you've learned not to do that again. I have a tendency to set up my own standards. In other words, I dedicate things to the Lord that are not directed to the Lord. I decide how I want things to be, and then I consider that God feels the same way. I tend to walk in my own ways, meaning that I kind of like what I like, and I dedicate it to the Lord, but it's not directed by the Lord. I did this regularly before the early rains, and... I still do it regularly now. It turns out that I'm uncomfortable in periods of inactivity. And during those periods, I choose my own activities based on what I think should happen. Of course, 
How can I ever know if what is made was made through Christ when I act that way? How do I know the difference? Well, let me just give you an example. Most of you know me as somebody who will tell you exactly what I think. Of course, if I tell you exactly what I think, how will I know whether or not it's what God thinks and wanted to say? Yeah, this morning I had to walk into the parking lot and pace a little bit because as soon as I saw a text, I knew exactly what I wanted to say. I just wasn't sure it's what God wanted to say. Now, I want you to understand something. I'm not talking about a response that you would consider sinful. It was scriptural, it would have been factual, and it needed to be done. But I didn't know that God wanted it to be done. I just knew I thought it needed to be done. Anybody feeling what it's like to dedicate something to God that was in a short time of prayer and a few modifications to the text? Then I could be sure that what God wanted was actually done, which positions me also for whatever fallout comes from that text, I know where I'm standing with the Lord. I also do things just because I can, <laughs> you know, like rules are for other people. <laughs> uh -huh. Of course, when I do something just because I can, and I hope God will bless it, and it was dedicated to the Lord, I don't know, I could do it, so I did. Where will the signature of God be in that? The driving factor in my life is that I just want to feel productive. Yeah. But the only thing between the reins that is actually productive is that which came out of your nothingness and God spoke to you. And when you stand on what he spoke to you and do what he said, that produces something that is eternally productive. Yeah. Now, I can, can't you tell that what Pastor's saying is true for him? He's sharing with you some very personal things. Jim as, knows it's true. <laughs> as he's speaking, you know what I'm finding out? that everything that he's talking about is also true for me, these same principles. You know what I know because I'm a pastor here at this church? It's also true for you as well. Isn't that right? Yeah. See, I've known the Stevens family for over 25 years now. We, we old. Yeah, yeah. we <laughs> grandpas <laughs> now. I got a sexy grandma in the front row. <laughs> See, I can... not paying attention. See, that's how old we are. <laughs> It, it what you, you say? I'm sorry. <laughs> Things that used to shock her and offend her, now she doesn't even hear. You guys know what I'm talking about. Things that used to make her blush, don't make her blush. It's all right. We're old. That's the point. 25 years old. That was old. the point. True for us is where we were. Look, I can remember uh, even when we were together at King's Harvest Fellowship. See, I watched, Eric, I watched you in a ministry that was dying. I, I watched Saul-like oppression coming upon you in a constant kind of way. I watched you go through the death to everything that you had helped build with your own hands. I watched that in you. But I also watched you count them as nothing, as refuse, as fertilizer, that the resurrection power and the latter rains might come upon you. I watched as God favored you wherever you went. I watched it in your business life. I watched it in the ministry that was here. My family would come and visit here. We would take our holidays to come here because of the favor of God that was upon this family with the Piros in this church. 
I watched God revive you again and again. Became a special thing for me to hear you say one more time, Lord. (laughs) That was Eric's cry for, Lord, I need to be revived again. I need to be revived again. I watched him restore you again and again and again with divine revelation after divine revelation after divine revelation. I watched it. More than watch it, though. I've been a personal beneficiary of this cycle of power, of the early rains and the nothingness in between, and yet the latter rains come. I remember you speaking to me when I was a school teacher, getting another degree somewhere, doing something like that. I remember you talking to me about you're a pastor. This is what you are. Don't get confused about the job that you have. This is what God's called you to be. I'm standing here because of the latter rains that fell in your life. See, I watched that faithfulness rise up in you. I watched the the righteousness of heaven rain down. Church, in every season, in every cycle, Eric, me, you, everyone here has to embrace the nothingness that comes for your own inability or, somebody say or, the nothingness that comes from the things that you've dedicated to God, but were not directed by God. When you can count those as nothing, what God does is he sends his resurrection power again and again and again in your life that you might trust in his resurrecting power and the very word of Christ in your life. All right, this be uncomfortable for y'all, but uh, I just want to thank my brother. You need brothers to speak into the void of your nothingness. To help you put in perspective what God and only God can make grow. You need this kind of brotherhood. When we look back upon the cycles in our life, it becomes clear that we die in failure and inability many times. More than that, we have to die to our own ability many times. It's one thing to die because you are unable. It's another to die because you feel very able and it is not directed by God. Yet, faithfulness is born from the resurrecting word of Christ and it causes you to rise upward. Somebody say upward. Upward. In fact, it brings the harvest that is needed in every season of your life. In other words, despite all of the nothingness, God still speaks into that chaos and he will raise you up. But that is what brings life. Guys, this is not just one season. We have many more seasons ahead of us. Look at how Paul speaks in Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. But I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now, that was not new for you. You've heard that. You probably got it on a card somewhere in your pocket if you're a decent student. But as you engage with it, let me ask you something. Has Paul truly forgotten the nothingness of what lies behind? No, not at all. He's talking about it right now in these verses. The key is that he has called it loss. 
He has counted it as rubbish or nothing. When you learn from these seasons to die to your self-direction and be raised in the resurrecting word of Christ, then what you now have learned to define as nothing is nothing. It has no hold on you. It's not hard to talk about. One of the signs of how much you guys love yourselves is how hard it is for you to admit the actual deeds you did dedicated to God that we can all see were not directed from him. When you have to fight to defend it, when your lip quivers while somebody's talking to you, when you want to lash back, it's because you can't call it nothing, and to you it's very much something. Paul is able to call it nothing, and it is nothing. It has no hold on him. Then he's free to press on, to move on, to go upward in the resurrecting power of Christ so that out of that nothingness, God's signature, his ex nihilo can come in. He can say, yeah, man, you did nothing. Now watch what I am doing. This causes you to look and go, yeah, what just happened? That was God and God alone. Now, the great part of this is that this is not a one-time event. The pastor said, it's not a one-time event. We're going to pick it up in verse 14. Well, we're talking to you today about the seasons and the cycles that occur between the rains perpetually in your life. It requires that you look at both the inability of the nothingness and what you have been doing that has not been directed by God and count it as nothingness. Take a look at verse 14 with us. Pastor, would you read I that? press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Woo. Do you see that? Do you see it, church? The whole call, the entirety of the call, not just the beginning of the call, not just the previous step of the call, but the entirety of it is an upward call. Yeah, you think that he lifted you out of the mud and the mire and he set your feet upon the rock and praise God, I'm on the rock. You get down in that mire every day. It's just not sinfully, obviously, maliciously wicked like it used to be. It's not hitting a crack pipe anymore. Now it is choosing what you want to do. See, what we're talking to you about is the cycle. The cycle that's there in every season and in every area of your life. In one season, you have to die to the inactivity and inability that has produced nothing. But more prevalent and more applicable to this room. Are y'all with me here? You no, have, they're trying they're to trying. turn this out. They're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I understand. I no more. <laughs> no more. This church is not as filled with people who have the nothingness of inability or inaction. No, it's not. That's not the prominent issue that we, somebody say we. We. That's not the main issue that we have. We have the issue of the nothingness that comes from, from activities from actions that are dedicated to the Lord. Why are you doing that? Because I'm an LCM and I want to do something for God. Except your daily actions are not being directed by God. Okay, let me just give you a quick example. Okay, or maybe it won't be quick. I don't really care. You chose to come here. Okay. Pastor, I, I believe I'm supposed to be with you on that mission strip. Really? Because there's eight seats in the van. And... There's 37 people that believe God has said it. 
Are you sure that you're not just uncomfortable doing the same thing every day with your father and now you are looking to do something you can dedicate to him? How sure are you that God spoke to you? Because you can't all be right. Okay? That is the kind of issue we have. And that is what we are addressing today. Somebody say, thank you, pastors. Because we are not going to put you down. What we're going to do is lift you because this is an upward call today. See, when we can recognize the nothingness there, instead of fighting to defend it and pretend it's something, then it becomes like a fertilizing event in our life and upward growth occurs. The, the, the whole point is, yes, it's nasty. Yes, it's bad. No, we don't genuinely want to be there, but you'll be glad that it happened because you attained something through it. And you never have to go back to that. You'll find a whole new season of things you're doing wrong. <laughs> you, you won't have to go back to that one. Let's Church, look at verse 15. Verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Oh, I'm, I'm just going to read it again. I, yeah, well, I mean, it says they're something. They're still reeling from the last comment, I think. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. <laughs> Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So church, notice that this is the way that the truly mature think. Maturity expects to die regularly in failure and then knows that it will be resurrected in the power of Christ's resurrection. Not on the last day, this day. A mature person is not a person who does not fail and cannot acknowledge failure. A mature person knows that this is a regular part of any growing season. Knows that it is only when we can look and go, yeah, six of the seven things I did today were totally me and have no eternal value. That is what maturity is, being able to rightly assess that. So it turns out that some of you that have been in the kingdom a long time and you're mature, not by Paul's definition, you're not mature. But you can mature today. Yeah. Even the way that Paul says this cracks me up. If in anything you think otherwise... God will reveal that also to you. That in and of itself is a statement about the resurrecting word of Christ. Consider Paul genuinely is counting on the fact some of you aren't going to understand. You're going to be wrong. But it's okay because God will raise you upward. Yeah, I'm learning. I'm learning all, all of the time. That's really good. Verse 16 is the key to the cycle. Literally, only let us hold true to what we have attained. You're going to go through another cycle for sure. But the goal is to hang on to what you learned in acknowledging the nothingness of your previous activities. So that you can move forward. When your testimony does not reflect your continual death, your continual failures. Well, then how can you live up to what you've attained? By your own word, you haven't attained anything. You got saved and have been amazing ever since you got saved. That's not maturity. Yeah? Since this happens many times and it cannot be prevented. Let me just tell you, it can't be prevented. No matter how much you spend time at this altar today, you're going to fail next week. It's going to happen. I'm not prophesying death to you. It is the reality. But equally true, he will resurrect you from that as soon as you look at it and call it failure. 
as soon as you look at it and call it nothingness. And soon as you die to what you want to do and say, hey, Lord, I'm, I'm here again. Then they become seasons of growth. They become agricultural seasons. He will resurrect you again every time you find yourself in this position. The goal here is to not slide backward into last season's folly. Well, this is how I've always done it. I don't know. It's how my grandma did it. It's how I was taught to do it. It's how I do it. Well, your grandma's dead and you're dying and this will produce more death in you. How about you receive an actual word from God? Now, as we're talking about seasons and cycles, I want to talk to you here for just a minute that even God-directed seasons, even God-directioned actions have their season. We were talking about Eric earlier being at a place that we started out at 25 plus years ago called King's Harvest Fellowship. But you know what I've watched in the seasons in my brother's life? I've watched him have to do the same thing and get into seasons of dying and being resurrected here. Somebody say here. here. I mean, Eric, I've watched you die to being the primary main speaker on the stage all solo by yourself. I've watched that die as you built other men up into being what you are and even more. I've watched you die to being the one that makes most of the decisions for the church, especially on an everyday kind of way. I watched you die. I watched you and your wife, I'm going to add Jen in on this, die to being the primary contact for all of us when we have an issue. See, sometimes like children, we don't think about what the parents are doing. But what this couple, what this man has been leading in is how to die regularly in cycles. You know, it's, it's required that uh, through a prophetic voice, Eric, you're going to take your hand off of this plow so that you can put your hand and launch the One Association churches. See, we're all blessed by it. We're going along, loving it. But the truth is, is every season of resurrection in life, it's required that we die again and again and again. The things that were God and instructed by God had their season, and we get to be a part of watching this in this time where we're seeing entirety of churches being birthed, resurrected, formed in latter rains because of the death that's going on. These seasons of dying are always followed by an upward call of Christ. The seasons of dying are always followed by an upward call of Christ. See, when you learn to see even great accomplishments as nothing, somebody say nothing. They become nothing, and he's able to resurrect you into what the next season and chapter needs to be. Look, uh, the truth in that that you need to grab is even when God did direct an activity for a season, that does not mean that at some point it doesn't have to be set down so that you can do the next thing. But if you hang on to it, then it amounts to nothing. Yeah, that is not as easy to do as it is to say. Yeah. For Matthew Pirro to step off of this stage or Pastor Sutherland to step away from a ministry activity that God told them to do, but now his focus is somewhere else, but it doesn't feel efficient. It doesn't feel productive. Lord, I, let, let me just help you out a little bit. 
and you're really acting like Saul, you're being driven by your emotions and dedicating something to God that he's not directing. Okay? Now, did, can you engage? Is that too nuanced for you? Talk to me. Because the less you talk to me and engage with me, the more I'll insult you until I get a response. Church, in every season of our lives, there's a cycle of death and resurrection. That's what we're trying to get deep down into us today. The time between resurrections is always filled with nothingness. That's always the cycle. It is unavoidable and inescapable. That nothingness can be filled with faithful intercession for the resurrection direction, or it can be filled with deeds that amount to nothing. All of this is to make us rely daily on the resurrecting word and power of Christ. Now look, we're going to dig into this a little bit more. Let's all turn together to John chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 4. When he heard this, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. See, last week we learned that elders who have been through many seasons are uniquely enabled to restore those who are spiritually sick to anoint them again, help them find forgiveness again, and stand up again in the resurrecting power of Christ. Lazarus is called sick by Jesus. Jesus said that the sickness will not end in death. But that didn't mean that Lazarus wouldn't die. This will not end in death, but it did not mean that Lazarus would not die. Lazarus had to die. He had to, to bring about the glorious resurrection power that is God's signature that comes on everything after that point in his life. It's a spiritual sickness to be depressed. It's a spiritual sickness to do nothing between the reins. But it's also a spiritual sickness to fill the uncomfortableness with deeds that amount to nothing because they didn't come from Adonai. See, we have to die to this sickness. Can somebody say amen? See, we have to be reminded of the original anointing. We have to know that death is not the end of the cycle. It won't end in death, but dying is absolutely involved in it. But so is, too, the resurrection. How capable were you on the day that you were first anointed by God, first saved? How capable were you prior to that anointing? You were wallowing in your own death. When we get spiritually sick and sickness presents as depression and inactivity or self-directed activities, both equally sick people, you need to remember how you're anointed the first time so that you can be raised up. Hey, let's look at Jesus as the ultimate elder here. Are you ready? Are you ready? Verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Yes. As elders, as men of God, as believers, we need to learn to say, your brother will rise again. What an important statement. That doesn't happen if your brother can never acknowledge that he's fallen down. That doesn't happen if your brother can't acknowledge his sickness. But as soon as you can call something nothing, call it sickness, call it death, call it self-direction, then your brother can look at you and go, you rise again, man! You rise again! 
That is what it means to be in resurrection power. Faithfulness to the call of God in your own life demands that you hear the upward call of God and get resurrected many times in every season. But faithfulness to the called of God, not just your calling, but the others who are called, demands that you look at each other and say, your brother will rise again. Faithfulness to your own calling makes you look for the upward word of Christ. Faithfulness to the called of God makes you speak to your brothers. Your brother will rise again. We need both of those things to survive the growing seasons and truly grow. To love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, as well as your neighbor as yourself, means that you have constant faith that resurrection power is working in you personally as a called one, but also you have constant faith that resurrection power is working in the brotherhood of believers, the others who are called. We need those as immovable pillars in our life. As we're speaking about spiritually sick situations, I can't help but reflect on my own life. I mean, let's just take my parenting for an example here. I was filling the nothingness of the time between the rains with many, many, many activities. Now, I want you to understand what this looks like. These were things that were dedicated to the Lord, but not directed by them, by him. My kids were in church with me every time the doors opened. I'm talking to you, talking to you about the nothingness in my own parenting, and I want you to understand what the picture is. They were with me every time the doors opened in church. They were volunteering in each, and my kids were volunteering in each and every service, every opportunity that was there. As a matter of fact, the youth group that they were in was considered to be one of the larger and more successful in the state of Texas. My activities as a father were dedicated towards God. I love my kids. I want them to do well. They were dedicated to God, but they were not directed by him. That is a spiritually sick situation. And the worst part is I didn't know it. I allowed my own view of my dedication to the Lord to excuse the fruitless nothingness that was there because it wasn't directed by the Lord. Now, I, the truth is, is I can say the same thing about a lot of areas in my life. <laughs> I think about my own educational career. Did you know that I went and got college degrees like they were grapes? Just kept popping them in there. Oh, another master's degree? Sure, that's easy. Dedicated to God, but not directed by him. Easy. Who says that getting a degree is easy? Yeah, I did, because I just went and kept getting them. PhD? Sure, no problem. Piece of cake. I could talk to you about that. I could talk to you about my own leadership and my own marriage. But what I really want to focus on just for a minute are ministry activities. I was a valued member. I was treated like a staff member without being a staff member at one of the largest and most successful churches in Louisiana. The populace today would call them mega churches. Had the inside route. They asked me to be on stage as much as staff members were on stage there. I was an executive team member, staff pastor, 
one of the largest and most successful churches in the state of Texas. And all of these activities were to the best of my abilities directed, I mean, rather dedicated towards God. But they were also born out of an uncomfortableness in the time of nothingness between the reigns. I did it because I could. I did it because I thought that God would want these things and I would please him, but it was all based in my own self-direction, dedicated to him, but not directed by him. I was trying to fill that time. I, I hated the uncomfortableness of just having to stand in his presence of an intimacy with my father. I was so fearful that that wouldn't take place that I decided to fill that uncomfortableness with everything that I could. I didn't even know it. Church, I didn't know that it was nothing until I actually finally died in it. You know, Wade, those things are true. In fact, I can feel them, and I'm sure everybody else here can feel them. But somebody say, it's not the only thing that's true. See, I watch faithfulness spring up within you, Pastor Sutherland. I remember when you got a resurrecting word about your children, and in the middle of a cartel drug war, decided to throw your kids in the car and go in faithfulness to God. See, it wasn't all self-directed. In the midst of being able to identify what was self-directed and amounted to nothing, God spoke into that void and Gabe Sutherland is a man of God today because of it. And married to a pastor's daughter. And producing children. Fact Wade's daughter Olivia married another man of God. And she's a literally awakening the dawn. I watched the latter rains fall on your marriage. The humility to be able to look and go... No, obviously, we're not doing this right. It looked okay. It felt it was dedicated to God, but I can see it's not directed by God. That caused your marriage to come back to life. That caused your wife to become like a queen or princess within the chamber. It caused her to give birth to kings and queens and sons who replace their fathers. It's not only been nothingness. In the midst of that nothingness, God has been faithful to give you a word that caused you to be faithful. And it has pulled you upward in Christ. I was there for each one of those ministry steps you were talking about. I won't even name the churches because I've been making fun of them so long that I might get their names wrong. But I remember in the midst of that, When you had the courage to lay down what everyone found acceptable, what made you feel productive, what caused you to feel like you were achieving something, and you ventured into this tiny building with these excellent ones and this hillbilly pastor, and the call of God on you has pulled you upward and upward and upward, and every one of us is better for it. See, church, there is a truth here. Wade Sutherland hasn't died and been brought back to life once or twice. This is a seasonal cycle. His testimony will be like Abram. 
Romans 4 says he did not waver. Of course, the Genesis record has a little Hagar swerve. It's got some other things. But you did not waver if you went through the season and God got what he was after. We're going to learn to trust the resurrection power of Christ. The reason Wade stands here with children, a wife, and in a team literally leading this ministry is precisely because in the time between the reigns, he could recognize what was nothing, call it nothing, and God would give him a resurrecting word that brought him back. Wade understands the cycle of power that requires death and resurrection perpetually. Hey, can we look at verse 24 or are y'all done with us? Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. <laughs> Thank you, Martha. There's a whole nother message here we won't get into. But Martha is a busybody and she's running out to meet Jesus. And it's not wrong. This conversation needs to happen. This is a God-directed conversation. Mary's back like, <laughs> just head in the clouds. You probably thought of people when I did that. Later, later, Mary is at the feet of Jesus and has chosen something better. Sometimes God wants you busy with things that he has given you to do and they need to be done. Sometimes he wants you simply worshiping at his feet, but you don't get to choose. You have to be comfortable with his choices. Like Martha, most Christians only understand the resurrection as something that happens once at the last day. However, real Christians have become dependent on this power in every area of their lives and every season of their lives. This always involves death activities that you think are productive. They're productive from a man's point of view. Maybe everybody is celebrating how good you are at it so that you can engage in things that are productive from God's point of view. How reluctant are you if you're scoring a B already on something? I mean, you can acknowledge you made a mistake, but everybody knows that guy at least gets a B on that to set it down and learn an entirely new way to do it. Oh, yeah, brother, I can do it. Really, I haven't seen it. How willing are you to be seen as nothing, to see what you're doing as nothing, and set it down so that God can do something that his signature is on? Martha, Wade, and myself, we all get to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection better through these cycles. You get more dependent on him. You get uh, more confident and trusting that what he's doing is good even though it feels like death. Church, you will be anointed again. You will be raised up again. And it will reign again. But you have to be able to acknowledge the nothingness of much of your activity. I wish 50% of the words that were prophesied in here had anything to do with a direction from God. But they don't. They don't, it is 50% of the time just a man who wants to dedicate something to the Lord. And it's so obviously off. And the reason that you don't see it is because you're not willing to sit with your father until he has actually directed you and you want to feel productive and feel apart. Those are good desires until you are breaking the leading of the spirit to do it. Yeah? 
the solution is, is that you count those things as nothing that his resurrection power may be there. Look at what verse 25 says. Pastor, would you mind reading that? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Come on, Martha just found out. I mean, she found out like I found out, like Eric found out, like you're finding out today. The resurrection is ongoing. See, God will again be favorable to your land. The Lord will restore you and then restore you again. He'll revive you again and again. It's got to be just like Lazarus in your own dead state that you will have to hear the word of the Lord and come out of the grave, even if it's the third time this year. Let's be honest. The third time this month. Probably this week. Ah, there it is, today. Hey, Lazarus was raised from the dead. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. But he died again and will have to be raised on the last day. This is a cycle. It's not a one-time event. The one who believes this lives even though he dies. As a matter of fact, it's because he dies that he's able to live. He is living because he died. Let's look at verse 26. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? (laughs) See, engaging in this cycle means that you never actually die. It's just like you're only asleep for a little while. Isn't this the language that Jesus is using? And we all know that sleep has a pretty special way of restoring your soul, of reviving you again and again. This is the picture that even our very physical lives teach us. Church, let's grab hold of a statement. You live because you die. See, it's not really living to continue in your nothingness, to continue in your self-direction, to continue in something that has no eternal value. But to die to those things daily means that you are truly living in that for God. His signature will be all over your life. Believing in him, you'll never be left in that death. That is a mature view of the cycle of power. The death and resurrection that all Christians must experience in every season of their lives and at all times. I want to refresh a slide with you. This was from last week. You got planted. You got rained on. Many times in your life, probably. But we go through death and drought where we did not produce what we hoped to produce. Can you imagine if that busy seed just wants to keep getting up and doing something else the whole time? It'll never get where it needs to be. Some of you are busy seeds. Okay? And, and I get it. I, 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 all I have to do in preaching to you is think about me. I am uncomfortable alone. I like to do things. Of course, I won't know if what I'm doing flowed from the Father if I don't spend time letting him direct me. In that death and drought, our hearts are getting established on something. They're getting established on our utter dependence on the Lord. Now, all of you can acknowledge it, and you're quick to. If I say, JJ, are you dependent on the Lord? He's not going to argue with that. Would anybody in here argue with that? So how dependent on, on him were you the, yesterday? Do you see what I mean about a report card? I can't do nothing without the Lord, man. It's all the Lord. Yes, you've learned to parrot it, but did yesterday reflect it? 
this develops in you patience. <laughs> patience. Patience to confine activities in the name of the Lord to things that the Lord actually directed. Yeah? I'm not talking about whether you get a glass of water. I'm not talking about whether you turn right or left at the stop sign. I'm not trying to create paralysis for you. I'm talking about things that you would say are for the Lord. When you develop this kind of established heart and a little bit of patience, God will reign and your life is transformed. You get more and more acquainted with resurrection power at that point. You start to bear truly precious fruit that was agonizing for you because you realize you had almost nothing to do with it. Others are like, hey man, I'm so glad with what happened. You're like, yeah, if you just knew the actual story. God created right out of my failure. He created right out of my chaos. And only reason he did it is because I see it as failure and chaos. And I can glorify his signature on what's done. Yeah, there's so much that we would like to get to. But I think I just want to steal an old treasure, a singular line from a message called Band of Brothers. In that message, we quoted Isaiah 37 and verse 31. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. Church, do you realize that your dying time between the rains is actually a taking root downward? It's getting thoroughly grounded in our inability. We are learning during that phase. If you didn't have these experience, how would you ever know what it means to grow upward? See, being able to recognize the nothingness that came out of your activities that you dedicated to the Lord but weren't directed by Him allows you to get rooted in something that pushes you upward. Not being able to acknowledge it, there's no contrast for anybody to glorify God and you can't live up to something you attained because you're not even acknowledging that you had to attain it. Let me just quote John 12 for you because we're long in the tooth at the moment. Truly, truly, this is John 12, 24 for your notes. I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life, whoever loves his life, whoever thinks everything he's doing is excellent, loses it. Whoever hates, whoever can call it nothing and rubbish and rightly determine the difference, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is how we learn where God's signature is on the events in your life. And we're going to have to get more discerning about it because you give yourself an A all of the time. Or where are you at, Bonham? Bonham gives himself an F all of the time. We're on two polar ends of the extreme. And you're going to have to learn to look at the difference between dedicated to God and directed by him so that you can live up to what he just taught you. Taking this to heart, we got just a few more passages with you. Turn with us to Isaiah chapter 45. It's amazing how the prophets can, can paint a picture for us. They can take a complex issue that we've been talking about today and we can see it in just a few short verses. Isaiah 45 and we're going to read verses 5 through 8 together. Isaiah 45, verse 5 says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. 
Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. Isn't this exactly like Lazarus? What did Lazarus do to hear the word of the Lord while he's in the grave? He did nothing. He was dead. He was praying so hard. He was, he so was, he was striving after the Lord. He dedicated. Was he was on his knees. That's not that kind of testimony. That's not the testimony that's being built here in Isaiah. Jesus said, come forth, be alive, be resurrected, and that's what happened. Look at verse 6, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. This is what this is really about. Us understanding that he is the source of resurrection power. That his word is what we need. Look at verse 7 and listen to the couplings that are here. I form light and create darkness. Somebody say resurrection, resurrection. And, death. and death. I form light and darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. Somebody say resurrection and, death. resurrection and death. What strikes you as odd about that order? Wouldn't you think that it's death and then resurrection? That's because this is a cycle. You're in death, you get resurrected, and where, where do you go again? That's what a maturing Christian life looks like. The verse continues, I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. How does it bear fruit? Through the early and latter rains, through this cycle that we're talking to you about. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. The Lord has created this cycle of early rains, of nothingness, of latter rains. He has created this cycle of resurrection and death. And he set us within it because this cycle is perpetual. Every season of death is followed by resurrection. And you know what that has to mean? That every season of resurrection is also then followed by death. That is the way that this works until the final season. Now, we're going to get to Psalm 85 together as we draw near to a close. Are y'all understanding? Because if not, we'll preach forever. Are you getting it? You have a few things in mind that were not wicked. I mean, you weren't driving to a porn shop or shooting somebody on a corner. A few things in mind last week that you dedicated to the Lord is like, it, you were thinking good thoughts about the Lord. You were genuinely trying to be nice. But you can now see we're not directed by him. If you don't, then you're learning to hear messages without figuring out how to put them into practice. You're learning to be entertained by what is said or maybe even critical of what is said without moving the ball forward in your soul. Okay. So we're an hour and 15 minutes in. This is going to be our last scripture. I'm tired of preaching. But if you think that this is a message that you should just listen to and go out and keep doing what you're doing, then you'll stay immature. To be mature, you have to be able to identify in the last seven days things that you, you, you hoped were for God, but you can now see he did not direct or else you're blind. And we've been blind a lot of our lives. You're scared to do it 
And you give yourself a passing grade because you do not rely on the resurrecting power of Christ. So you're scared to show where you're deficient. You're scared to acknowledge yourself where you're deficient. We've been practicing mashlomka now for months and months and months. And to watch some of you struggle every week to acknowledge that the soil of your heart has produced bad things in death is hilarious. It's the circumstances being described for 20 minutes, your spouse being described. I mean, it's like there had to be a meteor shower to get you to do something that was wrong. Do you realize how much of your life is wrong? I mean, I, 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 let me just put it on me, okay? I would be shocked if 5% of the time I was actually being led by the Spirit. Shocked. But I'm trying to improve that. The way that you improve that is by acknowledging that 95 things you did, you just did because you wanted to do. And maybe it wasn't wicked or terrible or any of those things, but it still prevented God from directing you because you were busy with what you wanted. Can anybody feel me on that? Am I the only one getting 5% right? I think you're doing better than most of us. <laughs> That's what they're thinking right now. Would you like, like to do better? then you're going to have to identify the things that you've been doing that are dedicated to God. They're not on a list that a Baptist church would produce called sins. They're only sins in the sense that they were good activities that were not directed by God. Good words that He didn't actually give you, that were born out of the intellect. Good Bible studies that you taught someone else that we're not actually directed by. If you can't learn to identify that, how will you ever grow? If we can't get you to do it at this early stage of your ministry, when you're old and gray, we, we have no shot at it. So we're trying. <laughs> we may be failing 95% of the time, but we're trying. We're simply going to close by reading you Psalm 85. <sighs> Verse 1. Uh, yeah. Lord, you were favorable to your land. Amen. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. Hallelujah. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Selah. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Church, it looks like Israel was in desperate need of favor upon their land. And you know what? Israel received favor on their land and restoration or resurrection. Can you see that in these verses? Watch where it goes. Verse 4. Restore us again. What? Whoa, whoa. I need to be restored again. Oh, God of our salvation, put away your indignation towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us Again, somebody say again, again, that your people may rejoice in you. Are you hearing this, church? Are you hearing the cycle? It's not just restore us, it's restore us again. It's not just revive us, it's revive us again. That's what we're constantly needing. Take a look at verse 7. In verses 1 through 3, they already got restored. They already had favor. So why in verses 4 and 5 are we saying restore us again, revive us again? Because it's a cycle. And the more mature you are, the more you realize that there are no A-plus scorecards. You will always need 
his resurrection power. And the faster you can start to recognize that, that you, you get used to going, one more time, Lord. Wink. It won't be one more. It'll be thousands. But today, I'm asking for one more. Again, He is not raising you at the last day without having raised you every day in between. Verse 7, show us your steadfast love, O Lord. You ready? And grant, grant us your salvation. Now, in our society, to get a grant, you have to lie to the federal government and say all kinds of things that aren't true, and they don't care because they're liars too. But this word grant actually is a gift. See, this is the signature of God. Lord, restore us, he does. Restore us again, he does. Lord, revive us, he does. Revive us again, he does. Lord, show us favor, he does. And they are saying, out of our nothingness, we want to bear your signature. You're going to have to save us. And he does. That is much different than filling your life with things that are dedicated to the Lord, but were never directed by him. It's just what you want to do in his name. But the problem is, it's his name at stake. Verse 8 says, Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace, shalom to his people, to his saints, his holy ones, his excellent ones. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. I mean, you got to think back to that hearing uh, that... I'm stuck on it. That hearing comes from the word of God. That you have to be operating in this. That the time between the rains, that he's going to speak to us from his word. And from that word, we will experience the resurrection power as many times as it's needed. Do you see that there's a confidence that the Lord will speak and speak peace or shalom, right order to his people, to his saints? But let them not turn back to their folly. What on earth could that mean? It means stop doing what you did in the last season. Stop with your self-direction. Stop that so that you can actually get a word. You want to know, husband, that the words that are leading your family were not made up. Husband, wife, you want to know that the activities you have your family involved in were actually born of God. You want to know the ministry that you're attempting to do is what he wants you to do. In spirit-filled Christianity, I have observed that many people latched on to something and said it was the call of God in their life, and it never was the call of God in their life, and it's obvious to us. Brother, I'm called to be a teacher. Yes, but you don't teach. You never taught anyone. Yes, that's because y'all won't let me. No, it's because you're trying to dedicate something to the Lord that you were never called to do. You know, the better we can get at this of, of honest self-examination, the more resurrection power there'll be. He will raise you up. In fact, look at verse 10. Steadfast love and faithfulness mean. When I hear those words, I can't help but think of Elijah's steadfast love to sit with his head between his knees doing nothing but praying. And the faithfulness of his brother's servant last week to keep going up and down. They can both be honoring to God. We're not saying sit and pray all day. And we're not saying work all day doing things. 
We're saying that God will direct you to do both, and you're going to need to figure out in your life what he's asking of you today. And to do that, you're going to have to look at yesterday and realize a lot of it was not correct. Call it nothing so that God can speak into it. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground. What was it doing down in the ground? <laughs> Faithfulness springs up from the ground. What was it doing down there buried? Yeah. But it springs up. Faithfulness springs up. God will speak a word to you like he spoke to Lazarus. It'll come straight to you in nothingness, and it will raise up faithfulness within your heart, and righteousness looks down from heaven, or ESV, the sky. You don't even have the ability to be faithful if he doesn't cause you to be. But if you start to incline your ear to his word, acknowledging where you are at, or at least evaluating it, he will start to direct his church. He will start to direct your life. He will cause faithfulness to come right up out of the soil of your heart so that he can reign on it again. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps. We are at our closing. We didn't really want you to be paralyzed in fear over action. And we didn't want you to, in the same moment, think that you need to pray for two weeks to figure out what you're going to eat today. We want an actual examination of your activities. It's not possible that you can keep coming to me telling me what needs to happen in the one association and be wrong so often and think that you're being led by the Lord. It's, it's not possible. You're going to have to come to grips that these kind of activities in our lives are our antsiness. We're uncomfortable in the time between the rains, and we want to fill it with what we want to fill it with. And because we're charismatics, we call it prophetic. Like, oh, no, I'm just seeing something way down the road. Then shut up about it until we're in that season. We're uncomfortable with our Father. We're uncomfortable the way that he creates, how nothing comes from you. And he has to speak it into you. And they bring out, I'm not mad at any of you. I'm mad at myself. <laughs> but I'm also thankful I'm learning this stuff. It's how we grow. We're going to be spirit-led truly as a church. We can be. You know why? We're sons of God. If you are a son of God and want to be spirit-led, stand to your feet. Now, you've heard some of what is required to be spirit-led. How will you know the difference between His Spirit leading you and your Spirit leading you? <laughs> you're going to have to learn to recognize when you're dedicating things to the Lord that He didn't direct. You have to learn that there's a difference between what you thought would be good and just wanted to do and what He is actually telling you to do. Most of the things that the Lord will actually lead you to do are highly sacrificial. They're not the kind of things you like to fill your time with. They involve leaving stages you built. 
They involve setting aside income that you saved for you. <laughs> they, they involve you speaking to the brother in the room that you would really rather walk past. They involve you doing things that came out of your nothingness. You can be spirit-led because you're sons. But we need to be honest, a lot of what happens in here is not actually spirit-led. At best, it's human-driven out of good desires. Learn to evaluate the difference, and we will rise upward together. We are learning. Did you hear Wade and I talking about us learning in our lives? Well, surely the students are not ahead of the masters. I'm going to begin to pray. You evaluate your life knowing for sure that as faithfulness starts to spring up in your heart, He will cause righteous rains to fall on you. This will not be a one-week, two-week, three-week thing. It's six times up the mountain. We're going to keep turning this gym until we are living in the rains. Father, we trust that you will do in here what you do. Lord, give us the ability to see clearly. Lord, let us reflect upon your word that we might see our own lives rightly. Father, we need to know the difference. We need the word to pierce between our thoughts. The word to pierce between our emotions. We need your help because we truly want to be led by you. And you have said that we can. So Lord, we're starting in our nothingness and saying, put your signature on it, mighty one. 